to people from God to be used in service of others. These are good things. Sex, money, happiness, good things. Temptation starts with something good. It's good. It's only being distorted. But to know how it's being distorted, you need to know how it started. Ask yourself, what is the good here? Second question is, what's the lie? Because I'm given a blessing that is in fact good in the eyes of God, and yet I'm trying to believe a lie. The bread or the Bentley will make the hunger go away. No, it won't. No, it won't. To live in service to myself will make myself important. No, it won't. No, it won't. If God loves you, he'll never let you get hurt. Not never. Look at the cross. There's no more beloved person than the person of his own son. And he was crucified and killed with untold misery and agony on the cross. Temptation always promises you something, always makes a false promise. What's the lie that you're believing, dear friend? when you're facing temptation. Thirdly, then, what's the good, what's the lie, what's the better promise that needs to replace the false promise? What's the better promise that God offers and that he promises, in fact, to keep? Because, you see, in the face of temptation, you can't simply say no. We do not have power against these attractional desires simply to say no and to exercise our own willpower. You cannot simply say go away. You need something else to draw near. What you need is a better and sure promise to replace it. Which is why it's so incredible to see Jesus using the promises of scripture to do battle with the enemy. Whether if the enemy was standing right in front of him or if he was in his head and heart doing battle in that arena, he was quoting and overwriting the words of the lies with the truth of the promise of the gospel. God is for me, not against me. God has declared over me, this is my son at his baptism we saw two weeks ago. This is my son whom I do love. In him I am well pleased. So why I got to believe that God's not ever going to care for me and that I got to test him all the time and make him prove himself to me? Unearth and mine the promises of grace and fight against the lies of our flesh and of the devil. And the greatest promise that you have, the surest one in the face of temptation that you need to embrace, is that Jesus himself overcame the power of temptation for you. Which is the main point of this story here. That Jesus is in the wilderness just like Israel. That Jesus actually is recapitulating that whole narrative recorded in the Old Testament, book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. And time and again in this passage, we have these cues that are linking Jesus' life to the story of Israel. The reference to the wilderness in verse 2, that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights without a doubt, echoing the 40 years, the 40 years of wandering of Israel again in the wilderness. 
Jesus is quoting not just from any part of the Old Testament, but from Deuteronomy 6 and 8, this section of the Bible where Moses is retelling all the ways that Israel was tested in the wilderness and when Israel failed. What's the point? In every way that we fail in the face of temptation, Jesus succeeded. That is your hope. That is your greatest, firmest foundation to stand as you're doing battle in the face of the attractions of sin. Because you know that even as you are sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing, that there's good news. That because of Christ, none of your failures before temptation can ever be failed. Because he's won. Because he's purchased your standing in him before the Father. And if you want to look at your temptation record as far as it's written in heaven, it's nothing but a success story top to bottom. You're loved. You belong to him. You are united to him. None of your failures will ever be fatal. Jesus is your source of security in temptation. Not only that, Jesus is your source of victory in temptation too. Because precisely because he walked through this temptation-filled life, not hermetically sealed off in holiness like we pictured him being, assaulted by the devil continually, still staying like mind-bogglingly strong in love to God and neighbor, perfect in his standing before God, he has merited for you the grace upon grace upon grace to help you when you face the very same things that he faced. So that you can go to him and you can say, Jesus, I'm facing this thing. How did you do it? Give me a little bit of that. Because I know you've been right here in my shoes because that's the story of your substitutionary grace. Living the life that I should have lived, dying the death that I should have dead, being tempted as I am, now I have help that I need. As Hebrew 4 tells us with great assurance to our hearts, we do not have a high priest in Jesus who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, you know, blank stares, shrugging, temptation. What's that? No, no. But rather we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, therefore, what? Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You can go to him. He's a king of grace. He's sympathetic to your temptation, vulnerable souls. He's been there. He's not a stranger to anything you're facing, temptations without or temptations within. He's the Messiah who lived through it, who was victorious in it, the tempted one. He is yours. He's your savior. Will you know him? Will you embrace him? Will you love him, knowing that he first loved you? Let's pray. Jesus, we need you in all the ways that we're drawn to ourselves, our selfishness, away from you, the idolatries of our heart. God, we could go down the list, but we thank you so much for your grace. Not just that you forgive us, but that you stand for us. 
you give us victory. Thank you so much. Show us how to do this. Walking by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray by giving a round of applause.